Welcome to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast, the podcast that shows you how to build a world-class service business from the dirt up. And now your host, Mark Stoner. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. I am your host, Mark Stoner, and it is getting close to Labor Day. Labor Day weekend coming up. And labor is what this blue collar podcast is about. It's about the labor. It's about the working guy. It's about the working woman. It's about the trade and what we are about. And this is our weekend to celebrate us that do the work and get out there and get in the heat and get in the weather and get in the dangerous places and dig in the mud and get dirty and all the stuff that we do and deal with the customers Gemini. and the employees and building it and exactly the part that is you know um that is exciting and makes us have a great business is also the part that is hard so we are in it, and I want to celebrate that and talk about, I'm going to start a new series called My Success Kit, and I want to talk about the things that are involved in the success kit. The reason I'm talking about this is it was just an idea that just came because somebody sent me a big poster that said success kit. Thank you for ordering the success kit, and the funny thing about it was... <clears throat> It looks like a like you're at a cafe or like a you know a little diner, and you know that little ticket you get where you order food and somebody hand writes it says thank you on it, and the success kit it looks like you ordered these individual you know items and then there's a total and there's a balance due at the bottom and I'll read to you what it says and I said you know actually each one of those things in the success kit could be a could be a topic and it could be a topic for uh, each podcast so I'm like that's it because sometimes I need topics I have to look around every day every week and figure out what people may want to hear about what I might know about what I might experience so this came in the mail and it is the topic for the next several weeks uh, as each one of them will be a podcast so here's what's in the success kit and it's also going to help you understand what is coming so number one it said, you know, it said quantity one, hustle, quantity one, focus, optimism, discipline, failure, risks, patience, criticism, and persistence. At the total, the total says hard work, and then balance due, it says nobody owes you shit. So forgive the language, but that's what the sign says, and I agree. They don't. This world doesn't. When people say, I deserve this, I deserve that, I don't believe that. You deserve what you get. You deserve your results. You deserve what is in front of you and where you are. Now, could bad things have happened to you and it, you didn't get where you want to? Absolutely. Could you have been born, you know, with, you know, with not a silver spoon in your mouth or a, a disability or a thing or something against you that's uphill. 
You know, I was talking to my my friend Tiffany Largy. She's a black woman. She feels that she has to have, she had to develop an extra muscle to deal with society, you know, with her two, in, in, in some ways, two strikes against her in some, in the way she was explaining to me, I don't actually don't agree, but I'm also white. So I can't, I do not have a, I really don't have a voice in that, but she says, Hey, I had to develop an extra muscle to deal with some racism. I had to deal with extra muscle to deal with me being a strong woman. Add those together, she's facing more of a headwind, she feels, than I do as a white man in our society. I may feel differently about that, but that's her story, that's her life, I'm not going to argue with it. And so, you know, so in that, you know, you may, you may not have been born with any, with certain things. And I'm excited about my next week's guest. Um, She is a... uh, She's an athlete, and um, she's uh, she's missing a hand, and we're going to talk to her about what she's overcome. So, but you know what? Nobody owes you anything. They don't. You're lucky enough to be wherever you are, to be alive, to have health. To in most of my listeners are in the United States. You have an advantage of being in the United States, uh, in my opinion. So let's get into the success kit. And let's talk about number one, hustle. I'm going to guess that everybody thinks they hustle. And I bet, you know, when I say you hustle, yeah, I hustle. Absolutely hustle. And they probably do. But everybody's hustle is not the same. Everybody's grind is not the same at all. And therefore, you get different results. If you are not getting results, you may be confusing activity with, some people are very active and get no results. Some people think, feel like they're, you know, watch other people like they don't do much and they have this amazing, you know, result. Well, I can tell you what, do not confuse activity with results. An activity being busy is not the same as being active and getting something done, checking the box, getting the money, getting, you know, you can't always be prospecting. You have to be working and getting something to come back in and you can say, yes, this is working. And so I'll give you an example. You know, I, there was recently a Facebook message on uh, or a, a thread said you know how many of you guys work weekends uh, in the chimney industry and I watched the thread develop for a little bit and, and the majority of these people said we don't work weekends we don't work in weekends only on emergency we don't require our people to work weekends now I mean and for me it was really basically in the busiest season Man, we work weekends. I can tell you that for sure. I I work weekends. We work six and seven days a week. When we're hustling, we're hustling. Now, you know, other people are saying, well, you're going to burn your people out, okay? Or charge enough through the week so you don't have to. That's not the case. There's a lot of work, but I can guarantee these guys that say they're not working weekends, in the majority in the busy time, they are probably booked out a month, two months, three months out, and yet they don't work weekends. I can tell you, as soon as I get over two weeks or three weeks out, we are figuring out I'm taking volunteers for weekends. 
and I am, we are working on building the company and we're prepared for it. We, we scale up. We generally, you know, throughout the year run at about 60 to 70% capacity. And then we have more capacity when the busy season hits. But I can tell you, most of the guys I watch that said we don't work weekends also don't have amazing results. Now, they may have the results that they want, but if I were the business owner, I would not be happy with their results. So that's where hustle comes in. I bet, I'm going to bet you don't out-hustle me. I'm going to bet you don't out-hustle my company. And therefore, we have different results. Now, if you want those results, it requires hustle. If you don't, you can phone it in or you can call off on the weekends. Or you, and, and again, it's your game. You can hustle super hard through the week and take off on the weekends. And you can't grind all the time. I, you know, I tell people, and I've mentioned on this show before about the ox in the ditch analogy and story where, you know, if you're always having to work weekends, you have to work weekends to catch up, then it's probably a, an issue you've got in your company, in your leadership, in your scheduling, because you're always in emergency mode and you have to get the ox out of the ditch. Therefore, you work Sundays is part of the story. I don't mean that. If you're always running, putting out fires, then that's a problem. Ours is absolutely planned. When you come into work for me, it's very clear we have mandatory Saturdays through the busiest season because those customers lead to lifetime customers. They lead to our summer work when we come back to sweep their chimney and do their annual inspection so it fills up our busy it fills up our spring and summer so we're more of a year-round business. It also keeps those customers out of my uh, my competitors' hands. So we are hustling. We we hustle hard, you know, I Many years ago, a guy walked up to me when I was president of CSIA. I just met him, and um, we were at a national convention, and, he, and I shook his hand, and, and I, I, he goes, uh, I mean, right off the bat, he goes, you know, I'm going to take your place in this industry. I said, okay. Just started smiling. It was a weird first thing, because I introduced myself, and I said, I'm Mark Stone. He goes, oh, I know who you are. He goes, I'm going to take your place in this industry. I said, okay, good. I mean, I have been in it a long time, and we need people to just step up and take over and be glad to hand over the the reins to the next young guy that's ready to, you know, take it from here and make a difference. And I said, but I'll tell you this. I said, if you want to catch me, and out, and outpace me, your tongue's going to be hanging out the side of your mouth by the time you do. But man, you're welcome to the fight. You're welcome to the grind. You're welcome to the hustle. And guess what? Years later, he's still a one-truck operation and not at all. In the, I mean, he's, he's a good, from what I can tell, overall good person in the industry, does good work, but gave up the idea to to replace me because man, it's so easy. It's like, it's like when you're working out, starting to work out and you see somebody that's ripped and are in really good shape. And you're like, I can do that. I can do that. You're sitting on the couch watching somebody like, I can do that. I can do that. And you get into the gym and you're one, two months, three months later, and it's a lot of work. And then you go, well, you know, maybe I don't want that. I don't want it. So it's easy to talk a big game 
it's so easy to talk a big hustle game. You can do it until you have to do it. And then you learn there's another gear that some of these really successful people have. There's maybe several more gears. So what do you want? Do you have the real hustle? Do you understand what hustle is? I'll tell you how to learn what hustle is. Get some mentors. Get some mentors and you might be surprised at it. Really successful people, the way they hustle is probably different than the way you hustle if you're not getting results. What you do at night, I've said it a bunch. I've said it all the time. What do you do at night? What do you do when you get home? That is such part of the hustle. And, um, you know, lately I've had a lot of guests at home at my house staying with us. And I love that. And a lot of times, you know, we're talking and conversing and, you know, those are great times too. And you learn a lot, but also in the back of my mind, that's a lot of the time that I read. I learn things I do. I work at night too. I just can't help but not work. You know, if I'm, I'm just always kind of hustling I can't not hustle. If I, you know, I, I, the other day I was talking to Terry and I, I literally took one day and did nothing. It was a Saturday. I literally did nothing for the day. And I said, I feel so lazy not doing something today. I just, I was smoked. And, you know, she's like, well, you hustle all the time. You're always grinding. So one day it doesn't make you lazy, but it made me feel lazy to take a whole day and literally, just totally relax. And I think that's good. I think you need to. And I'm not saying you have to hustle seven days a week. I don't mean that. But I mean, during the day, during the week, what is it? What? How do you hustle? Do you think you hustle? Do you think, do you think your, um, your results are, are your results great? And are your results what you really want? Are your results just kind of what you settle for and your hustle is just good enough and what results I have is just good enough and this is my life and I want to live it this way. But if you want something really different, you got to do something really different. And teaching people hustle is almost impossible. You almost have to have it built in. You know, my friend Chris Adair, he um, he's my production manager at my shop. And he can't help but move. When he moves, he's always straightening and fixing things. He can't not do that. Even when he's sitting there, even if he's talking to you and you're you're discussing something with him, he's straightening his shirt, his shirt tails. He pulls it down and straightens it across his waist all the time. He just sits there because he's always in his mind that's almost a comfort level. He walked up to me the other day. I was in our office and he's just talking to me and he sees that these two doors on this cabinet are kind of ajar. He can't help. As he's talking, he pulls the two doors out. He makes sure that they line up and then as they close, they close perfectly. When he's walking through the warehouse, he's got a broom and a little thing in his hand. He just goes through and tidies and fixes and makes things up. He can't not hustle. He can't not uh, do be doing something all the time. My daughter's a great example of that too. My daughter, she wakes up early every day. She is hustling. She is hitting the ground running and trying to make something happen. She can't not do it. It's just, it's not possible for her to not do anything. And uh, so... 
And she's starting to really see some great results because of her hustle. There's stuff to pay off. Like we got an order for our chocolate company yesterday, a couple thousand boxes of chocolate to get to go out to this company. And it's all because of her. She's networking, talking, networking, talking. And then, and, you know, we, we had several meetings with big hotels and, and, and all kinds of things. And so, my question to you is, are you hustling? Do you hustle? And what do you do at night? Um, I, you know, I, in my book, I wrote about my aunt who, you know, we were talking about, she was a very, very hardworking lady in real estate. And she was always moving and shaking and very successful and just had an amazing work ethic. And she said, you know, I was talking about somebody or some employee about something. And she goes, Mark, you know, there are workers and there are nots. And I thought that was interesting. I think she actually missaid it. But the way she said it really stuck with me. Basically, there are workers and there are those who don't. But there are workers and there are nots. And I learned that I just love to be around workers. People that work, move, shake, figure it out, fail, fall on their face, call me, pick up, you know, like, how do I go? How do I get better? I love those kind of people. I'm going to brag on a client of mine, Steve Trumbull. He has a chimney company up in uh, Minnesota. Very, he, he can, he can sell his like unbelievable. He can, he gets unbelievably great results, but he, he also has huge failures and, you know, people, you know, employees that do the wrong thing. Cause he's a little bit averse to holding people accountable. He's learning to do better. And he's learning that you have to do it to build a, you've got to build up your other leaders. If you just dodge the problems or wait uh, on problems happening, they just grow. And, but he hustles, he, and he's all about learning from others and then putting it into place. And everything he tries doesn't work. Everything even that he tries that I suggest doesn't work. Or he calls back and, hey, this, this didn't work. And he may need to tr- he may need to tweak something. He may have forgot a little piece of the pie. You know, if you bake a cake and I tell you how to bake a cake, but you forget an ingredient, it could be a totally different result. Although you did nine out of ten things right, you forget the sugar or you forget the flour or you forget the baking soda. You know, you may end up having a cookie instead of a cake. You know, it, it's you're like, man, this isn't quite like you did. And I'm like, well, you forgot this. So, you know, my point about him is that he is hustling and failing as fast as he can. And trust me, you know, failure is one of these. It's going to be on week six about failure. But, you know, trust me, you have to go through the fire. You have to be tempered by the fire. You know, it's like making a blade or making a knife. You know, they've got to get it super hot and then quench it, cool it down, and it gets harder and super hot and quench it and cool it down and you just you know that's just that's the you know the right to passage is through the fire you can't get around it maybe you can get through it faster but you you must you must go through it so hustle man do you have it do you really really hustle or not so much again best thing you can do get around people that hustle 
know, my friend Tiffany, you know, uh, you know, we hustle in different ways, but, you know, I, I've seen her at events where she talks and, and talks to so many people on the phone all day long, trying to make things happen, always thinking. My friend Hope Stevenson, she hustles every day. Um, you know, Darren Bebo has been on this thing that hustles every single day. Chuck Hall, Mike Barrett, Alan Rush, a lot of my guests that I have had on this show are absolutely hustling every single day that they can. And each one of them, I know of personal struggles they've all gone through. I know of really hard stuff that they've all gone through, but they are relentless and they get results that are different than most people. Again, you can, you can rate your hustle on your results. And uh, a friend of mine, Taylor Hill has been on this show too, hustles every day. He told me a lot of people call me, Mark, you know, that you referred to me, you know, because in their other companies and say, hey, I want you to I, I want you to do what you did for Mark on his marketing. And I want you know, I want to get those same results. And they're like, look, you you need to understand that there is another level that he goes to and that he does to get the results he's got. Marketing is one of the things, but it's it's just a it's part of the cake. There's just a thing that you have to do a lot, all, all or a lot of the things or more to get those results. You know, the best thing to do is to set up what you want first and then gauge your hustle and are you achieving it or not. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, super proud of the team. We made the Inc. 5000 list for fastest growing companies. And yesterday, the award came in the mail. It's a really nice, decorative, heavy glass award that's got us on there. And, and for a for a minute, I looked at it and I I got choked up. I, I literally looked at that award. And Courtney, who's in our office, she said, "I bet you never figured you would get this." I said, I had no idea. I said, I had no idea, especially when I started or even a couple of years ago that we would even, we would even be in the running for anything like that. Like, and then I just thought about all the work. When I looked at that award, it was a summation of, of my gosh, a million decisions, a million hard things a lot of work, a lot of, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of labor for Labor Day weekend. So much labor, but man, that is a, that is a neat accomplishment. I could stick my flag in the ground and go, man, I, I, I did it. I, I did something really unique and um, I can be proud of that, but man, I'm not even close to being done. I'm not even close to, you know, the hustle being done and, and what I, um, you know, what I want to accomplish. I, there's so much more that I think is in me. Now, I do feel more tired these days. When I really hustle hard, I've got to recover. It, the recovery is a lot harder than it used to be. But uh, I'm up for it. I think, you know, I've, I've heard 50 is the new 40, and in your 50s is the time you can really, really get through some things. And I believe it. Things are easier for for me because I've got, you know, a lot more wisdom and a lot more business sense and credibility and a track record that says if you do X, Y, there's a great chance you're going to get Z. 
Early on, I couldn't figure out if all this hustle was going to pay off. I knew I just hustled, but sometimes you just feel like you're hustling in a circle. Especially when I played music, it just seemed like, man, we are hustling, but it was never, the results, you know, you could never know what the results were going to be. In business, I know what the results are going to be. I know if I pour myself into it and I pour myself and I watch what results are working and I do more of that and I, and I watch what results are not working, I do less of that. If I give the customer, ask the customer what they want and I give them more of that, I get a result and then I can duplicate it and triplicate it and, and, you know, uh, make it grow exponentially when you figure out what the customer wants and just do more of it. All right, guys, uh, I am going to hand it over to the uh, Alan Rush's hot topics and I'll be back right after he finishes. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. All right, we are back again for another weekly episode of our Hot Profits with my friend Alan Rush. Alan, so in in our game, in the chimney game especially, but in the sales game in general, how do we, it's so common for us to overwhelm people with a terminology, with with jargon, with price. How do we not just step on ourselves going right through when we go to present, uh, you know, our problems and our findings? Man, that's a great question, Mark. <laughs> it's like you told me what you wanted to talk about. <laughs> it's like, this almost feels like a setup. The, uh, so now I think, you know, the conversation we were having is about, you know, when we sit down with a customer, you know, for the most part, when they have us out in the chimney world, they may know they have a little problem or they may know that something's not perfect. They have a little smell or they see a smoke stain or a fire didn't light the way they wanted it to, or they see a, you know, a little something on the exterior of a chimney, but in their mind, it's a, you know, how much is a brick or how much can it be to remove a stain or, you know, get rid of a smell? I mean, let's put some Febreze in there or, you know, it's a typically um, a minor type of fix or they've uh, associated a value or a dollar amount to fixing that. How much can a brick be or how much can it be to remove a smell? And for the most part, uh, you know, even when we go in, they think everything's great, uh, right? There's zero need level at that point. So our goal is to, if we just wait till the end in the chimney world, if you're, you guys know this, uh, almost as soon as you walk, drive up to the, the driveway, you see all these problems. It's missing this. It's got this problem. The flashing's bad. You get in, you, you can already tell that, uh, you know, there's all these kind of issues and you already know it's a five, $10,000 repair and the customer's sitting here telling you that everything's fine. And right. yeah, it's, and you already, you're almost cringing internally because you know when you tell them it's going to be five or ten thousand dollars that they're going to have a price objection. They're going to be, oh my god, are you crazy? And and you you, can, you already see the script written, right? And it's amazing how many times uh, we know the script and we still follow it. You mm-hmm. know, as technicians, it's like, oh, here we go again. I'm going to go in. I'm going to tell them all this bad news, and they're going to be like, yep, I'm not doing it. It's a lot of money, or it's been fine for thirty years. You know. And, and we don't change it. So we, so we have to find a way to up the customer's need level, you know, in a slow way. So you guys know I'm a big fan of the book Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. If you didn't read it based on my last podcast, please go out and read it. There's a great image in there uh, that talks all about the, all the, 
the nerdy details of need level of implied needs versus explicit needs and how customers only buy whenever they get to a certain level. So when I'm training technicians, I'm always uh, advising them to understand the customer's need level. And if it's they have a perception that everything is okay, or they have a perception that, yeah, I get it. That's a problem, but I can live with it. Or that's a little bit bigger problem than I thought, but you know, it's been like that for a while. We're, if we, if that's where the customer's mindset is, when we get to the proposal, we'll almost always lose because right. to, because then it doesn't mean much to them. So we have to get them to what we call an explicit level, which is to the point where it uh, it means something to them or they understand the impact of that or they don't want that to happen. And so we have to we have to involve the customer. Right. We have we talked about discovery on a, a different podcast. We talked about involving the customer in uh, pretty much everything from showing them pictures to involving them in the scan. Uh, and I always tell my guys that there's two things that that really we're trying to battle with to not overwhelm a customer. One is you got a much bigger problem than you thought you had, right? Because most of the time they're associating the problem with a symptom and how much can it be to fix that brick or fix that thing. Uh, and that's usually indicative of a bigger problem, right? right? So if we don't solve the problem, you're going to have a lot more of the symptoms. So so that's step one is it's a bigger problem than you thought you had. And step two is how much money it's going to take to solve the problem. Right. And a big tech, a big problem that technicians make is they wait till the end of the presentation to do both. Yeah. Hey, Miss Jones, let me tell you about all of these problems I found. Let me tell you about all how you can't use your fireplace, your chimney's falling apart, and it's going to cost you twelve thousand dollars to fix all that. When you do that, you pretty much paralyze anyone from making a rational decision because they weren't expecting it. Right. And so. When we let them know of the problems and we make sure that we tie in the problems that they have to something that's important to them, we've, we've, we're halfway through the battle, right? The need level has been established. It's been raised. They understand they can't use it. It's important to them. They're asking you buying questions like, okay, what do we do? How much does that cost? When can you get it done? All that's great stuff. So the advice I give, give people is you should never come in to do a sit down or a presentation or a proposal where you're giving somebody news, bad news for the first time. There should be no surprises in the problems that they have. The only thing new that you're bringing to the table is the details of it, maybe some photos, you know, what we need to do to rectify that problem. And of course, the, the price of our solution. Mm -hmm. So they've already, while you're out working up the, the paperwork and the proposal, they're probably on the internet doing some research. They're talking to their husband or their wife and they're, Hey, there's, you know, we got some bigger problems. They already passed that initial reaction of it's a bigger problem. So all you have to do is justify the value that that problem is worth what you're charging for the solution. So you're bringing the customer along the whole time. You want them there and you're kind of going along and laying these, laying out the story. A hundred percent. It starts even before that. It starts with the phone, right? The the initial appointment. So having the office staff setting the expectation of what the the experience for the customer is going to look like, and letting them know that this is our technician. Yes, is going to sweep the chimney or do whatever they they're going to do, but they're also going to be asking you some questions. They're going to be uh, running a color camera up your flue system in the chimney world case. They're going to have you be a part of that. There's going to be a sit down consultation at the end that if the, you understand all your questions are answered about your your chimney. If there are any recommendations, he's going to go over those with you as well. So we're kind of setting that uh, that expectation on the front and that there's going to be some customer involvement. Uh, one of the things I definitely hear from a lot of technicians, and it's happening more and more now in the COVID world, is 
you know, okay, the chimney's over there, fireplace is over there, I'll be up in my office, I got a, you know, I got a virtual meeting or I've got a phone call. And so if you can set that on the front end that, hey, I'm going to need a little bit of your time, you kind of avoid some of that. Uh, and having the technician start with the discovery, uh, but also just involving them throughout it. You go up on the roof, come back, you know, let me show you a couple of pictures. I'm seeing a little bit of issues where water may be intruding. I'm going to document this and I'll, we'll talk about that later. What do you do when you, you find a problem in front of the customer and it's a big problem and they ask you for a price like right then? Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I hear a lot of people teach this a lot of different ways. And, and in my I 100% am against ballparking solutions and prices. And uh, I, I truly believe that until I finish my investigation, there could be a change in the scope of work. And I never right. want to set a false expectation as to what the, because uh, as soon as you say a price, that's the max price, right? right. Uh, like there's, you go above that price. Well, that's not what you said over there. And, um, and then the other thing that you also do is if you haven't had a chance to build enough value for that, uh, that solution yet, you may have them check out the rest of the process. Correct. I mean, they're just gone. They're mad. Yeah, well, they're, uh, you might as well just leave now. Don't even, I'm never doing that. Just go ahead and pack up your, your camera and go, you mm-hmm. know? So, so I personally, I think we've used this language before is I personally say, I love that they're asking me these questions because that means they're interested, right? It's, I say, I don't personally work in ballparks. I have to finish the investigation. There's some math to this. I'm going to finish everything. And before I leave, I promise you, I'm going to give you an exact number so we can go over what needs to be done. There's a couple ways I may be able to go about this. And I'm not going to know that until I finish the investigation. So, you know, in the in your context of not overwhelming them, do you ever break it down between like, uh, like maintenance and safety or how, how do you not, you know, just, they need so much. Yeah. I mean, I can't control that, right? It is what it is. And I think this is uh we've talked about little voice before where I think that does overwhelm a lot of technicians is that, Oh my gosh, they've got this problem. Now they've got this problem. I mean, this number is getting so big and that, you know, they're never going to buy because now it's this number. I don't look at it that way at all. I look at it as I'm not there to sell them anything, right? If I looked at it as, this is a big sales number, then yeah, I would you know be anxious about it. But I'm just there to educate them on their system. And here, here's all the things that are going on with it. And here's what you need to do. And based on our discovery, you told me these things were important to you. So if they then, I don't want to anticipate an objection uh, that I haven't got yet, Yeah, you know? And so if they didn't say, Hey man, I, you know, this is 15 grand. I mean, I, you know, we got to pro- somehow break this down. Then I'm going to have that conversation about, hopefully I can, if you listen to the financing class, you know, I can, Hey, let's take care of all this now, pay for it later. Or I can say, look, if it's truly, we're trying to prioritize, let's start with, you know, stopping future deterioration or exterior water. So I do, you know, I, I know that you are just selling, it is what it is, but I do know, I've heard you say before, you've been on a big presentation before and felt that nerve wracking feeling that, oh my gosh, this is a lot of money because it was a lot of money to you. How do you, since we're talking about overwhelming, how do you not <laughs> overwhelm yourself? Well, it, yeah, we're not perfect creatures, Mark. Thanks for bringing that back up. <laughs> I'll bring up your weaknesses. The, uh, the uh, no, I do remember a. It was a. I think it was forty two thousand dollars, and and I was like, oh, and it was a nice home. I mean, it was you know, it, but but it was still to the point where I knew, I knew in air quotes that um, you know they were not going to make a decision there, and that would be something that they would probably get multiple quotes on, and they would want to talk to their husband because it was just the 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 uh, wife that was home and went through the process, you know, and like, here's everything that we found. It was four chimneys and needed all this work. And, you know, at the end of the day, went through everything the way we're supposed to. It's 42 grand. And she said, okay, well, how do we get started? (laughs) 
And I said, we get a check for $21,000, you know, and, uh, she's, uh, you know, it wasn't quite that way, but, yeah. but, but she said, okay. And she legit wrote a check for $21,000. And I remember that, uh, kind of, uh, tachycardia, you know, a little <laughs> bit like trying to keep my cool, like, oh yeah, we do these kind of deals all the time. And, but even to me at that point, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable in that 10, 20, $30,000 mm-hmm. range, we sell those every day, every week. That's not a problem, but yeah, I didn't, you don't do a lot over 40,000. Those are yeah. big jobs. And so I was feeling it and I, and I made some assumptions that they wouldn't close on the spot that it, you know, they would have to think about it. They'd probably get quotes and just followed the process and the process won. So what do you tell to kind of wrap this up? What do you tell your, um, you know, the, the sweeps out there that are, that feel the pressure, they're overwhelmed by what they're getting ready and they don't want to present it. Yeah. I mean, you have, you didn't cause the problem, right? Remember why they called you, right? They called you because you're an expert in your field that you, you're able to explain the, um, what's going on with their system and what needs to be done to get it in working order. And, you know, you, you didn't, most people don't invest in their fireplaces and chimneys in our world. And so you're just there to explain it to them. And if you start looking at it from a dollar amount, you will, you'll start to make some decisions based on your budget versus, you know, their situation. Yeah, for sure. All right, Alan, great stuff. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed Alan Rush's uh, topic on not overwhelming people. It's so easy for us to do. All right. This was week one of the success kit, which is, I'll repeat them. One, hustle. Two, focus. Optimism. Discipline. Failure. Risks. Patience. Criticism. Persistence. Total equals hard work. Balance due. Nobody owes you shit. All right, guys. That's my time. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Blue Collar Gold Podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or any place that you listen to podcasts. More information is also available at markstoner.com.